great. No, it's been on the whole time. Nice. Um, how are y'all doing? Fantastic. Good. All right. Um, thanks for coming to REF. Glad y'all could make it out. We have been going through the Book of Romans this semester in the New Testament, um, and we find ourselves, after three weeks of looking at the bad news, we finally get to the good news tonight. And while I was thinking about how good news sounds even better after you've heard so much bad news, I couldn't help but think of the New Orleans Saints. For many years, the New Orleans Saints were so bad that they called themselves the Aints instead of the Saints. Uh, their fans would come to the stadium wearing paper bags on their heads with little eye holes cut out because they were just so ashamed of how bad their team was. Um, so finally, in 2009, they won the Super Bowl, and you can imagine how fantastic that felt for the Super Bowl, or for the New Orleans Saints to win the Super Bowl after so many years of heartbreak. So we find ourselves tonight in the Super Bowl, um, and we've been doing this cool thing in RUF um, where we, I'm just going to get this recorded, um, where we do Taylor Swift lyrics to every sermon that we do. So here are Taylor Swift lyrics for tonight's theme. Romeo, save me. I've been feeling so alone. I keep waiting for you, but you never come. Is this in my head? I don't know what to think. He knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring and said, Marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I love you, and that's all I really know. I talked to your dad. Go pick out a white dress. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. So there's your Taylor Swift lyric for the night. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll get started. God, um, we are in desperate need of good news tonight, whether we are stressed out um, over a test or um, just come in weary or tired. Um, we want to hear your good news tonight, so would you please bring it to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Amen. All right, so we are in Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, so this is probably one of the most theologically dense passages in all of Scripture. Um, so it's a fun one to jump into. We're going to look at three things tonight. First is the righteousness of God. The second is the redemption of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we're going to look at the relationship that we have with Jesus. So first of all, the righteousness of God. Um, Righteousness, in its basic form, is God's justice. Um, God is love personified. Uh, the Bible says that God is love, but he's also 
um, justice as well. Um, it says in the Bible that he will by no means clear the guilty. Um, Paul shocks his readers in this first sentence of our passage tonight by saying that the law is manifested, or sorry, righteousness is manifested apart from the law. Um, I love fall. It's a great season. My birthday's in fall. And uh, one of my favorite things about fall are haunted corn mazes. Just raise your hand if you've been to a haunted corn maze. Awesome. Yeah. So you can attest to how marvelous they are. Um, and what you got to do is you got to go with friends so that you can have some people around you for when stuff like jumps out. You just kind of block whatever scary is coming at you with the human shield beside you. Um, but I've found that at least the friends I go to these things with is what they do is there'll be like a rustling in the corn on one side that will catch my attention and then my friend will just like scare the crap out of me when I'm looking the other way. That's the kind of friends I have. Um, but Paul is kind of doing a similar thing um, in Romans. He is saying that where you've been looking to get in a relationship with God, you've been consistently looking at the law and he is surprising his readers by showing us that it's actually not there at all. Trying to do everything right is not how you enter into or maintain a relationship with a righteous God. So all your amount of not doing things, maybe it's not getting drunk for you, not having sex, whatever it might be, or positive things, dressing nicely, going to church, reading your Bible every morning, that stuff is not where God wants you to focus in your relationship with Him. But Paul goes even further by saying that there's actually no distinction for all the fallen short. Um, one of my favorite artists is Sufjan Stevens. He's very eccentric and has written a few albums about states. Um, he wrote one called Illinois and another called Michigan. And in his one in Illinois, he actually wrote, wrote this whole song about a serial killer. And it's described, or it's called John Wayne Gacy Jr. Um, and this was a real man who lived in Illinois in the 70s. And he killed 33 boys. And after he killed them, he would bury them in his basement. Um, so Sufjan, throughout the song, describes this man. And then at the end, he says, I think what's one of the most shocking lines um, in all of songwriting. He says, in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. I think Sufjan Stevens is onto something really profound here. I think he's saying that even if he had not killed someone, the seeds of murder are in his heart. Even if he had not committed adultery, the seeds of adultery are in his heart. Um, when we look inside our hearts, we can see, when we look deep down, how we have all fallen short. Um, how we have all fallen short of the plan that God wants for us, of the glory that God originally gave us. And he wants to restore that back to us. He wants to destroy all the evil in the world, even the evil inside our own hearts. Um, so we've looked at the... Um, relationship, or sorry, we've looked at the uh, righteousness of God, and now we're going to look at how Jesus Christ accomplishes redemption for us by restoring our relationship to God. And we're going to have a quick video here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, redemption means to buy back. So I thought that this video would be fitting. I remember my first motorcycle in Montana. It was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. I was a sophomore in high school. There were no high. 
rite of passage as a young man was uh, trying to start one. I was the only one in the world that thought it was worth what I paid for it. I just had an affinity for motorcycles when I was young. That's all I ever wanted to do. I, I had no plans to end up where I am. I, I, I had every plan to keep riding. I rode it for about 13 years till my daughter was born. And I sold this bike as we were raising that child. I knew I'd made a mistake. I always wondered, you know, what would come if I ever found it again, but I never had much hope for that. And I had been searching on eBay for other 58 Harleys, and it didn't even cross my mind I'd get this one back. But I looked for a couple years trying to find the right one, and then one day, uh, 32 years, I think, from the date that I sold it, there it was. The VIN number was the same. I bid what I thought it was worth, and I didn't get it. I lost it. I thought, God, what's the chances twice like that? And a year later, it came up on eBay again. And this time I bid what it was worth to me. You never stop at a stop sign. Somebody doesn't want to tell you about the one that got away. I wish my dad hadn't sold that 57 Fort Fairlane. My grandpa had a Harley like that. God, I wish we had that. <clears throat> I'm the guy that got away. I got the one. Chokes me up a little thing about her. Yeah, I got it back. All right. Is it a great story of redemption? Um, so, redemption literally means to buy back. Um, and so, not only did Ed Church buy his motorcycle. What's going on, YouTube? This is Dallas. <laughs> One of my most popular videos ever on YouTube was my top ten thing. <laughs> we could just listen to that guy. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, Ed Church spent a lot of time, energy, and money searching for his Harley-Davidson, right? So he paid a great price for the Harley-Davidson. But he also, once he, he bought it back, right? So he was restoring this relationship, if you will, that he had with the Harley. He felt like he was in his 20s again, you know, on Glory Road at the end there. Um, so God's plan of redemption is similar. It came at a great price, at the price of his very own son. And it restored a relationship between him and his people. The relationship that he had planned for in the beginning, in the garden, right? So this plan for redemption has been around since the fall, since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And it's been in places like Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, if you were a Jewish person reading this passage at the time about iniquity and carrying sorrow and all of this, you probably would have thought of a scapegoat. Um, a scapegoat was a literal goat that you would put your hands on in a ceremony. And in the ceremony, all the guilt that you deserved, all the punishment you deserved, was transferred to the goat. And the way the goat would be punished is he would be exiled from the community and go and leave and, uh, and be eaten by wolves, probably, um, in the desert. Um, and so this goat was a propitiation. He was a propitiation is an important word in our passage 
Um, it means the punishment bearer. So he was bearing the punishment in the place of the people. Instead of the people having separation from God, this goat, in a metaphorical type way, that was going to point forward to this suffering servant we read about in Isaiah 53, was exiled from the community. Now, I want you to kind of put yourself back in the cornfield and get ready to be surprised, because if you were an Israelite reading this book, or reading this um, the book of Isaiah, right, and saying, surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, you must be asking the question, who's going to be the scapegoat? Is it going to be someone in our community who the Lord is going to exile, or is it going to just be some random person? But surely you wouldn't have thought that Paul would come up behind you and say that actually the way this is meant to be read is the Lord has laid on the Lord the iniquity of us all. That Jesus Christ, God's own Son, became the scapegoat. That he became the one who would have eternal separation, that he suffered eternal separation on the cross so that we could have eternal fellowship with God in heaven. Jesus is our propitiation. Um, when we sing before the throne of God above, we, said, we say on that cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Propitiation means the satisfaction of wrath, of that anger that God has towards the cancer of sin that's destroying his people. Jesus bore that on the cross for us. I really think that this theme of loneliness and the idea of Jesus suffering our loneliness is a powerful one. Um, loneliness can make us do things and feel things that are really um, unexpected. I went to a summer camp. Um, it was kind of like an academic smart kid camp, if you will, um, between 11th and 12th grade year. And um, I kind of fit in, or thought I fit in with this group of people, and so kind of like they, they were my friends and we tried to hang out a lot, and it was like three weeks in, and they were the only people I hung out with, and I kind of realized, like, these aren't the people I want to be around. Like, I feel like this isn't really my, my crowd. I don't feel like I belong here. But I was so scared to leave that group because I felt like if I left, then I might just be alone. It's better to be with this group of people that I don't really like than to be alone. Loneliness is a powerful thing. Maybe you're here tonight, um, and you're feeling lonely. Um, and I hope that you know that Jesus has suffered the greatest amount of loneliness so that you could have the greatest amount of fellowship. Even if you don't have the type of community, the type of fellowship that you desire, he wants to give it to you, and in Christ he eventually will give it to you in heaven. So it's interesting in this passage, it never uses the word forgiveness, which you might expect that um, God would forgive his people, but no, it says that he justifies his people. Justification is taking forgiveness one step further. Forgiveness says you're let off the hook, you can go, you're free, but justification is an invitation. It's giving you a new identity. Jesus takes on your name, he takes on your sin, and you take on Jesus's righteousness and his goodness. Um, justification set is like saying it's just as if I never sinned and just as if I always obeyed when I have faith in Christ. One of the best analogies that I know of this radical um, trading of places is in Charles Dickens' novel Tale of Two Cities. Um, there are two main characters in this novel, Charles and Sidney, and they both fall head over heels for this girl, Lucy. And 
It's during, set during the French Revolution, so soon Charles gets thrown into jail for treason, and he is about to go to the guillotine, and Sidney comes up with this plan. And he goes to the prison, goes to, opens the prison cell, and he drugs Charles, and he makes him go to sleep. And then he trades clothes with him, so Charles gets his suit, and Sidney gets his rags of imprisonment. And then he has people carry Charles outside the prison walls so that he's free. And he sits there and waits to die. Now, one of the most powerful things about the way Evans describes this is it says that um, Sidney was joyful as he's sitting there in prison. Um, And you might ask, why was he joyful? And the only way that would make sense for Sidney to be joyful is that he knew the relationship that he was restoring to Charles and Lucy. He knew the joy that they were going to have, the love that they were going to share, and it made him joyful. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That joy is you having a restored relationship with the Father. It's the only way that that would even make sense for Jesus to joyfully accept eternal loneliness, eternal banishment, eternal sin, so that you could have eternal fellowship. So we've talked about the reality of God's righteousness. We've talked about how he is holy and how we are sinful, but we've talked about how Jesus has come to bridge that gap. And now finally, we're going to talk about the relationship that God has given us through Christ, through this redemption. Um, I want to say two things about this relationship, and the first is that it's offered to all. Um, Romans 3, over and over and over again, uses the word all. Paul says, this is for everyone. It is not for the Gentiles only, it's for the Gentiles and the Jews. It's not just for the circumcised, it's for the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And I'm sure if he was here today, he'd say it's not for those who grew up in church, it's for those who grew up in church, and those who grew up in a secular home. It's for everyone on this campus. Paul is dreaming that everyone will come to have a love relationship with Jesus. And he's urging us to do the same thing on our campus for every person we meet, that they would come to have this love relationship with Jesus. So this relationship is offered to all, and it also brings us into oneness with God. Brings us into oneness with God. Um, Cornelius Plantinga, one of my favorite theologians, said that atonement, which is like the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us, Atonement leads to at-one-ment. Um, when we're justified by faith, we're united to Christ. And um, Paul later says that, do we get rid of the law? No, we uphold the law. And the only reason that now we can uphold the law is because it's Jesus working through us. Now that we're united to Christ, Jesus, the Jesus in us is coming out and doing good works. That's the only way we could ever do them. He also says um, that our boasting is excluded. Um, Since boasting is the language of self-centeredness, now that we have a new center in God, that is what we're going to boast about. We're going to boast about Jesus. Um, The closest image that we have of this oneness with Christ on earth is probably marriage. Um, At a marriage ceremony, two people are declared man and wife, um, just like we are declared man in Christ. Um, And in this marriage ceremony, people are said to be one flesh. Um, 
which obviously when you look at them, you're saying they're not one flesh. How can that be? That doesn't make sense. But there's a reality to that. And the same is true with your union with Christ. Maybe someone can't look at you and say he's a Christian, but that does not mean that it's not true. Um, a lot of my friends are getting married now. It's kind of that, that age where a bunch of your friends get married. And one of my friends, Bennett, I was talking to him about marriage the other day. And I was like, Bennett, man, what's, like, what's been surprising about marriage for you? And he's like, dude, it's just weird having someone with you when you do anything. Like, I'm clipping my toenails, and, like, she's there. And, like, I'm plucking my eyebrows, and, like, she's right there. And, like, I maybe, like, let off a little fart at night, and, like, she's lying right next to me. Like, she's always there. I can't get away from her. Um, and the same is true with your marriage with Jesus, believe it or not. Um, and maybe this gets us into what Samuel would call the awkwardness of justification. Um, that Jesus is always with you, whatever you do. Um, he's with you in those mundane moments, studying in the library. Um, he's with you when you go to bed. He's with you when you wake up. And he's with you in your shame, and your guilt, and your regret. He's right there beside you. He's right with you. I'll just have one application um, for our talk tonight, and that is to stop beating yourself up. And believe me, I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying this to you. Um, I... I'm an REF intern, that's my job, and as part of being an REF intern, we have training twice a year, Um, and so going to training, you're with all the other REF interns, and I'm going to be honest, it's kind of intimidating, like, there's some pretty awesome people there, and we were praying one night, um, just like four of us, and I just started feeling really dejected and really unworthy to be doing what I'm doing, to pretty much be a professional Christian. I'm like, I do not feel like I'm Christian enough to do this. Um, and so I went into um, my room. I, we stayed at a hotel in Atlanta. I went into the hotel room and was just, like, feeling crappy. And my friend came in, and he's like, dude, like, what are you feeling so bad about? And I told it to him. And he prayed for me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Lord, please rid Will of his self-flagellation. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what flagellation is. It's kind of a weird word. Um, but it's a reference to the flagellants, who were a group of people in medieval, not medieval times, I always say that, not in Myrtle Beach, <laughs> Middle Ages, not medieval times, um, <laughs> in the Middle Ages, who um, would take rope, they would walk around in these squares in the Middle Ages, take rope, and literally beat themselves until they bled, saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Now you may look at that and say, wow, like these people are humble. These people are really, you know, this is an amazing act that they're doing. And you might look at me and say, oh, he was being humble. But really, I was just being ignorant and not believing in the truth that Jesus has already been beaten for me. And I don't need to beat myself up any longer. Um, So we've seen tonight that God is righteous, that he is perfect, that he is holy, but that he longs to have an intimate relationship, the most intimate relationship ever with his people. He wants them to be transformed completely, and the only way that he can do it is through redemption in Christ, through the scapegoat who suffered eternal loneliness so that you could have eternal union with him. Let's pray. Um, God, I pray that you would help us um, for those of us who are here tonight and are saying, Lord, I just want you to help my disbelief in this. Um, I pray that you would meet us in that moment. And that you would help us believe in the fullness of your sacrifice, that we do not need to beat ourselves up 
any longer.